And uh, we are starting a new uh, three-week series and, and uh, called Love Thy Neighbor, uh, How to Love People in Turbulent Times. And really why we're doing this, um, as a church, we are, we are uh, the phrase that, that maybe I would use would be apolitical, uh, that we're not party-specific at all, uh, that we are kingdom-specific, and how does the kingdom of God, how does um, the Bible influence then uh, who I am uh, as, a, as a Christian, as a pastor? And I'm sure if we took a poll, we would probably be one-third, 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 uh, where we're at and how we vote and those different things. And so um, my, my goal over the next three weeks is not to try to influence you how to vote or how not to vote or anything like that. I, that's up for you to decide. Um, but I do want to preach and just say, what does the scriptures teach us about that? One, one thing, I, I, as I was sitting there, I realized that um, we didn't, uh, every, every, every once in a while, we remember to take the flags down. We had these American flags in here. And that's not because we're like, yeah, man, we, we love America. We worship America. No, we don't. We, we worship God. Um, and, but the thing is, we rent uh, from First Baptist, and they are predominantly, uh, their, their culture is made up of people from uh, Myanmar, uh, now, or what was, well, now Myanmar, but they're Karen and, and Burmese. And they suffered religious persecution. And so they came here as refugees. And so for them, the American flag means religious freedom. And so it, they say, man, it's great that we actually can put a flag in a church that we get to worship God in. Um, and so that's a very different connotation for a lot of us. And, and so uh, just know that that's why uh, they're, they're up there. And, um, anyways, that being said, um, I've got a, got a slide here of uh, some individuals. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing, right, when you see um, uh, former President Barack Obama and current President uh, Donald Trump that uh, there are probably different feelings, right, all across the board that, that you would say, uh, I love that one, I don't really like that one, uh, and, and, and there's probably different people on both sides of that spectrum. Um, and, and maybe there's someone who's like, I have no idea who they are. That's um, probably not the case. But um, at least maybe of like, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent, actually. You know, I mean, I, I am like very apolitical. I don't, yep, they're my president of the country that I reside in. Um, and so how does all this influence uh, me and us? And, and when we look at our culture and the, and the times it is and how turbulent it is, um, there are people on both sides of the spectrum to say, if you're indifferent or if you disagree with me, then we've got problems. And um, I just want to look at what Jesus says about this and, and tolerance. And, and so uh, we are going to be, uh, at least this series, the today, old title today is Love Thy Neighbor and looking at Christian tolerance. What does it mean to have tolerance? And, and this is, again, something that if we, we could go and we could, we could study what tolerance means, we could, we, could look up some, we could look up some books, try to talk to people and, and do some, uh, you know, TEDx talks and all these different things. And, um, and we could try to figure it out uh, on our own first but the Bible actually says a lot to say about this and a lot to say not just about tolerance in general, but specifically over the next couple of weeks, uh, political tolerance. And um, what does it look like to, to love somebody who disagrees? If you remember, if you're maybe not, but uh, if uh, a couple months ago or maybe a month or two ago, uh, Ellen DeGeneres was seen at a football game with uh, former president George W. Uh, Bush and um, and she received a lot of flack for that. And in her, one of her talk shows, and she, she mentioned it's okay to, to actually be friends with somebody who you disagree with. And, and that's actually a more appropriate view of what tolerance should be. Not just, oh, you, you, your view seems intolerant, therefore I don't like you. Um, because that would be us as a church. If I open my Bible, um, that's going to be viewed as intolerant. 
And if somebody views me as intolerant, I still should be able to love them. I still should be able to care for them. Um, and uh, anyways, so uh, we're, what we're going to be doing, and, and Chaz already read uh, the parable that we're going to be looking at, and so it just kind of seemed like it was a good fit. We just spent four weeks looking at parables, and so just thought, hey, we'll look at another parable. And so briefly, what is a parable? Why do we do this? It, it, it makes an abstract ideal concrete and, and visible, right? There's a, there's a man sowing his seed, a farmer sowing his seed. There's a, there's a, a woman kneading bread. We can see this idea. Uh, what is a deeper thing? There's a, there's a little tiny seed that's planted and grows into this mustard tree, and they move us from uh, here and there to, to then, and uh, sorry, I always mess that up, from here and now to to then and there of like, okay, this is, this is where I'm at physically. This is my understanding of this thing. And there's a deeper meaning to this. They're just interesting. They're stories uh, that we can tell. Uh, they, they make us think for ourselves that Jesus doesn't explain these things to people. He, he shares a story. There's a few parables that he explains to his disciples. But for the most part, he just kind of says the parable and, and, and drops the mic and walks away. Um, it also is, conceals its meaning to some. In other words, other people, some people don't, don't want to study it. They don't want to think about it, um, and they don't really care. Uh, and then finally, and I think, like I've said the last few weeks, almost most importantly is it, it was spoken. That people didn't have time to sit down and take notes and, and, and think about this and all these other things. It, it was spoken one time, and it has one major meaning. That's the whole point of a parable, that it's got one major theme and so what we do and what helps us is we grasp the text in their town. What is it like to, to be in their culture? How would we have understood uh, their, their laws? Who, who was their emperor at the time? That, that matters, right? Is, is Nero persecuting Christians, right? Well, when Jesus tells this story, not, not quite. Um, but there was for sure some political upheaval, especially between the Jewish population and the Roman population under Caesar and under King Herod. So we got to understand that. There's a lot of things going on, right? And so when we get to things, and we, we did this when we were in First Peter, and, and, and when, when Peter says, honor the emperor, he's talking about Nero. And I don't care what you think about any president that we've ever had, it's not Nero, all right? So what does it mean, right? How, how, do, we, how do we love and how do we live as good citizens in our communities and our culture? And so, um, so that's where we're going to be going today specifically. So Expert in the law. Um, this is what happens in the story. Uh, Chaz didn't read these verses um, and, uh, because I didn't uh, have him read them. But, so this is what it is. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. All right, so I want to look at what, who, who could this expert in the law be? And there are different labels and, and, and things that the Bible gives us about people in, in the Scripture. And so one of them is a Sadducee. Um, a Sadducee uh, was a very religious, uh, a religious leader of their community, but they were appointed by the Romans, uh, that they were more into wealth and position and power, um, even though they had a religious label, if you will. Um, and, and they didn't believe certain things. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in afterlife. They didn't, um, they didn't believe in angels and demons. And, and so they had some very different views on interpreting scripture than other religious leaders that were in, in that court. And so you could say, man, this, this group of people, these are, these are like the, the, the democratic religious party, if you will, of, of, the, of the people. 
right? That, they, that that was how they were. They might be say they're a little bit more liberal in the way of, of thinking and how they interpret scripture. Then you have uh, the scribes or maybe the independent party, uh, if you will. And so these, these individuals just studied scripture. They knew the law because they, 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 they scribed. They just copied scripture meticulously over and over and over. And when you do that, you memorize it, you learn it, you understand it. And, um, but they weren't political in any way, shape or form, but they were for sure experts in the law. That, that is uh, without, without a doubt. And then the final group uh, are the Pharisees. And they might be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, people might have heard of them before. And these were the devout, uh, incredibly strict religious leaders of the day, the, the pastors, the priests of their day. Um, and and they, um, they wanted everyone, every, anyone who called themselves a Jew to adhere to a really strict understanding of the law because they believed they were in exile. Even though they lived in the land that, that they had been promised, that they wanted to be able to be freed uh, from uh, Roman oppression in that. And so they said, maybe if we just all adhere to this really strict law, then maybe God will show favor on us. But whether a Sadducee or a scribe or a Pharisee, none of them liked Jesus. He was upsetting the status quo between the Sadducees of saying, hey, hey, man, don't, don't upset the Romans right now because they're the ones who give me my paycheck. And the Pharisees saying, oh, what do you mean we've heard of old or, or it was said in our Old Testament, but now you're saying, uh, but, but, but now listen to me, right? He's upsetting some, some things here. And they don't like him, right? So, but what we're gonna see from this text, I think this is a Pharisee. This expert in the law is that he is somebody who believes in the afterlife, as we're gonna see, um, and just be, because of his devout devotion, it for sure seems like a Pharisee, as we'll see. So the, the question that he asked Jesus, so he's going to test him. He wants to put Jesus in a corner because, again, he doesn't like him. Right? They're trying to constantly trap Jesus and put him into a corner and just try to figure out who this guy is. How can we get rid of this guy? So on one certain occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he says, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? All right now, this is really interesting. And, and, and other commentaries I read that actually when Jesus says this, he's actually saying, like, well, read it, right? What, what's, what's written in the law, right? And, and every devout Jew, Pharisee, would have actually worn these things called phylacteries. And they, were, they wore three of them, one on their palm, one on their bicep, and then one on their forehead. And in them, it contained actually the, the, the Old Testament law and the Ten Commandments and a couple other uh, different passages of Scripture that they would. And so as they were doing their prayers, they would have these things bound up on them um, and these little boxes that contained uh, Scriptures, and so Jesus here, when, the, when, the, when he says, an expert in the law says, oh, excuse me, an expert in the law says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying, well, what, what's it say? <laughs> right, just, just read it, right? How, how, how do you read it, right? I want you to read it for me. And so that's, that's what he does. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, do that. Uh, do this and you will live, right? Keep, keep doing that. That's great, man. You, you've, you've, you've cracked the code. Just obey the commandments, right? That's, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Well, then there's this follow-up question, though, that the Pharisee gives. And he says this, but he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
Back then, there was a class of citizens, if you will, that were called and labeled the sinners, right? So when we read about Jesus, when he, if he ate with the tax collectors and sinners, right? The sinners could have been people who were known for their sin. These could have been thieves, robbers, prostitutes, whatever. People that were just those kinds of people, but people that were also thrown into that sinner category were people who were ethnically Jewish, but were not practicing the religion of, of, of Judaism. That didn't happen. Right? They said, so so they're, therefore, they're sinners. They're, they're not one of us, religious, good, actual Jews. They're not like us. They're, they're sinners. They're in, they're in that camp. And so they had this saying, right, that they would only help people who were worthy of help. So if, in, the, in his mind, who is my neighbor? He's saying, of course, my neighbor is only devout Jews. It's not other people who are sinners or people who aren't like me. So there's a lot in that question. And so Jews, devout Jews, didn't help people who weren't devout Jews. It was just part of their culture. So he asked this question, who is my neighbor? But I want to focus for quite some time here on the phrase, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. And I want to ask us the question, what do we do to justify ourselves? Right, uh, looking at other people or, 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 or interacting with other people that we think, I'm actually better than you on this. My view on this thing is better than you. The way I respond to that situation is better than you. So do I actually have to help you? Do I actually have to sit next to you and, and have these conversations with you? Do, do I actually need to do this? But, and we justify ourselves. And so uh, there's a, a little book, book that's a, actually a small group, little study. It's this little pamphlet, really, uh, by Bob Thune, or Robert Thune. He goes by Robert now. I guess Bob is too childish. I don't know. Um, uh, but, but Bob, a uh, great guy, in, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, pastor, um, and uh, wrote this little thing called The Gospel-Centered Life. And, and I just want to read this quote here. It says, What do you count on to give you a sense of personal credibility, validity, acceptance, good standing? Your answer to that question will often reveal something besides Jesus in which you will find righteousness. When we are not firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus, of ultimate total forgiveness of sins, we rely on these false sources of righteousness to build our reputation and give us a sense of worth and value. And he goes through a long list, and that's exactly what I'm gonna do this morning as well. So I just wanna go through this list that he gives of certain righteousness, certain righteousnesses, Is that a, I don't think that's a word. Righteousness, no, I know, I know. all right. Um, anyways, I'm gonna go through this list, okay? And so as I go through this list, uh, what's, what's amazing about this is that when you look at it on its own, you go, but isn't that a good thing? Yes, all of these are actually really good things. But when it becomes my acceptance or I'm better than you because you're not, this isn't your thing, it becomes sin. It becomes, I can do this. I can justify myself. So I'm gonna start with job righteousness. I, I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. That, that individual, man, they, they just work one little part-time job and they're always asking for money, right? I, I'm better than them. I can justify myself in that. Why, why should I help them when they don't help themselves, right? Family righteousness, because I do things right as a parent, I'm more godly than parents who can't control their kids. We're going to move past that one. Intellectual, intellectual righteousness. All right, I'm better read 
I'm more uh, art, art, articulate. Art, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm more red. I'm more, I'm more articulate. I'm more culturally savvy than others, which obviously makes me superior. Right, that's an easy one to fall into. It really is. Right, well, I, got, I went to school. Where'd you go to school? Maranatha Baptist Bible College. How about you? Uh, right? There's, there's, a, there's something there, though, right, that makes me think, well, I've, I've read more. I've studied this. Theological righteousness. I have good theology. God prefers me over those who have bad theology. That's just true. Um, no, but no, but seriously, right? The, the, the theology righteousness, man, holy cow, do I fall into this. I mean, this is, this is me all over the place. Like, well, you, well, you believe what? Well, you, how do you interpret that, right? This is, oh man, right? This, and, and it's a, lot, a lot of us, I think, could probably fall into that as well. Schedule righteousness. I'm self-disciplined and rigorous in my time management, which makes me more mature than others. And the other side of that, right? Flexibility righteousness. In a world that's busy, I'm flexible and relaxed. I always make time for others. Shame on those who don't. Mercy righteousness. I care about the poor, the disadvantaged, in the way that everyone else should. Man, if everyone just cared for everybody else the way I care for them, then we'd all be fine. I'm clearly better. Legalistic righteousness. And again, this is me. You know my story. I don't drink, smoke, chew, or date the girls who do. I mean, we I actually said that when I was growing up. Uh, and just so you know, just case in point, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. That doesn't mean do, drink, smoke, or chew. That means like, like do, the, do the, do, the naughty, right? That's what that means, okay? That's what it means. Just saying. That's what we meant when we said that. Legalistic, right? I don't do that. I don't hang out with people like that. Therefore, I'm better, right? Too many Christians just aren't concerned about holiness these days. Oh, you, oh, you do that? Well, man, I'm clearly better. Clearly, God likes me more. Financial righteousness. I manage my money wisely and stay out of debt. I'm not like those materialistic Christians who can't control their spending. Political righteousness. If you really love God, you'll vote for my candidate. Obviously, that's why we're here. That's why we're talking about this. To sit here and think that, man, I, I've got this figured out. Um, back in the day, my wife, I know I've said this before, my wife used to work for a company called Spread Truth Ministries, and, and um, we would ask people four worldview questions. One was, how did everything begin? Uh, what went wrong? Because uh, the majority of people in the world would say, this doesn't, something doesn't seem right right? That, that, that doesn't seem like if things could have been better. I mean, if there was a good sovereign God, why is it like this, right? But then the next question we would ask is, what could be done to fix it? And I mean, it, we, every once in a while we got education. Every once in a while we just, we got money and equality with that. But, but most of the time it was politics. If we just had the right leaders, if we could just fix this system that's broken systemically, if we could fix this, then everyone would be happy. That's not what scripture teaches. It's just not. That I worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and then that should then influence my politicalness. It's okay to be involved in politics, for sure. But to think I'm better, or my candidate is, is God's, you know, last one, tolerance, righteousness. I'm open-minded and charitable towards those who don't agree with me. In fact, I'm a, I'm a lot like Jesus in that way. And that, again, that's what we're talking about here, right? Well, I'm open-minded, I'm charitable. Why not? How come you're not like that? Well, that, now you just, see what you just did there? You're just doing the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying. That if you're not tolerant, well, then I can't be your neighbor. So what I love, though, about this passage is that Jesus answers with a story. When somebody, when you ask somebody a question, 
and they just start waxing eloquently in story parable form, you're in trouble, right? That, that's what that means, especially if his name is Jesus. Um, that's not a good thing. All right, so he asks this question, well, then who is my neighbor? And he's trying to justify himself with any one of those possibilities that I just read through. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus then answers with a story. And so again, I want to put us in their shoes. I want to act like a, a first century Palestinian. So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. All right, and so again, that would have been a very well-known common route that everyone probably would have taken multiple times in their life. It was a long route, and they say going down from Jerusalem, even though it's actually going north, because uh, Jerusalem was up on a hill. Um, and so going down from Jerusalem, going downhill to Jericho, this, this, uh, it, it was a long road, but it was, it was treacherous, and it was notoriously treacherous. And people would travel in caravans, they'd travel in large groups, they would, they'd be very careful, but uh, this, this one doesn't, right? So again, Jesus takes something that people know, right? A mustard seed, he takes someone farming, he takes some yeast uh, from, a, from a, uh, some, some little mushrooms and bread. It's not true, I keep doing that. Um, people are like, what are you talking about? Um, he takes something that everybody's familiar with, this Jericho Road, right, that they understand. And when he was attacked, and he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him and went away, went away leaving him half dead. All right, so what do we know about this, this individual? This individual could have been King Herod. This individual could have been Caesar. This individual could have been the wealthiest man in the world. This individual could have been the poorest man in the world. He could have been the most educated man in the world. He could have been the most uneducated man in the world. He could have been anybody. That's Jesus' point. We know nothing about this guy. Not one thing. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know what language he speaks. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his religion. We don't know his political background. We know nothing. That's all we know. He's naked. So we can't even identify who he might be based on his clothes. We know nothing. And they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And a priest, right, this religious leader, could have been any Pharisee, could have been any Sadducee, could have been the, you know, hey, this person, I'm talking to you, right? This, but again, maybe to justify himself, we were trying to put ourselves in this priest's shoes, right? There's laws, we can't, we can't touch dead bodies, that's against the, the, the law. Maybe this priest is going to perform a, a service at his temple, Right? I've got more important things to do. Right, this is, He's justifying himself in this action. And he leaves this man there and doesn't even, doesn't have any pity on him. So to a Levite, right? someone who had to have strict genealogical understanding of who their ancestors were to be called a Levite, a devout Jew, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, Samaritan, Samaritans were considered half-bloods. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. So therefore, any good Jew would say, you're not good enough for us. And there's wars and civil wars and all kinds of things that happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. That even on this Jericho road, as they were going, they had to go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. They wouldn't even walk through the land. They hated them. But this Samaritan as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, 
He took pity on him. This is interesting, because I, I wonder, right, again, if I'm putting myself in their shoes and maybe taking some artistic liberties here of looking at the, the Levite and the priest. I don't know too many people that would see somebody bloodied and beaten and just go, that's on you, that's your fault, you're an idiot. And I, I would imagine there might be some heartstring that would feel some kind of pity, but there's a difference between feeling pity, feeling sorry for somebody, and then actually doing something about it. Because I think we do that all the time, My, myself included. I see something or that person needs help or this thing needs to happen or whatever it may be. It's like, oh man, I wish something could be done. What Jesus is saying is do it. And, and if it's not you directly, what can we do to empower people and help people to help in a more efficient way? We gotta do something. Verse 34, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. And then he says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Right, that's the question, right? I'm answering your question, right? So I answered your question with a story, and now I'm gonna answer your question with another question. You said, who is my neighbor? And again, in his mind, he's thinking, my neighbor is someone who's like me. My neighbor is someone who thinks like me. My neighbor is someone who worships like me. My neighbor is somebody who thinks politically like me. That's my neighbor. And then he tells this story and then Jesus says, which of these three do you think was actually a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Right, you say only help those who deserve your help. I'm asking you, which of these do you think was actually a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus tells him again, go do that. Right, he says basically the exact same thing at the beginning. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as, as yourself. Good, go do that. But then he asks this clarifying question. Jesus has to give this answer. <laughs> your neighbor is anybody who is a human being who has a pulse. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So again, if every parable has one point, what is the point? I think it's obvious, right? Who, who's my neighbor? That again, if we put ourselves into the shoes of that Samaritan of being hated, ostracized, I don't look like them, I don't act like them, I don't talk like them, I even worship a different uh, religion than they do, but yet I don't know anything about this individual and I'm gonna help them. That tolerance, we shouldn't even, that, that probably shouldn't even be a word that we use as Christians. It just should just be love people. I don't tolerate them. I just, eh, I don't like your views, but I'll tolerate you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna care for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down next to you. I'm gonna eat a meal with you because you're my neighbor. You're created in the image of God. And if that's not enough, I wanna go to Romans chapter five. 
verses six through 11, where the apostle Paul says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One commentary I read was saying that Paul possibly could be directly talking about this Jewish tradition of we only help ourselves. We only help people who are like us. We don't help sinners. And here the apostle Paul is saying, while we were all sinners, myself included. That's why I I love that song that we sang to start off this morning. Come and welcome sinner, come. That's me. And I am welcomed at the feet of Jesus. And that he forgives that he died for me. In verse nine, since we have now been justified by his blood, not by something I do, not by my legalism, not by my theology, not by my intellectual prowess, by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Being saved, this double cure, saved from wrath and made me whole. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That I was stripped naked, beaten, left bloodied, half dead on the side of a road. And Jesus said, I know nothing about you, but I want you to be in my family. And that's how we ought to treat every single other human being that we come in contact with. So in application, which I think we all need to hear, Christ died for you while you were a sinner. Whoever you are, whatever your background is, Christ died for you, Christ died for me while I was a sinner, period. And the second one is what ways of self-justification hinder you from seeing others as your neighbor. Right again, that whole list that I walked through, right? That whole thing, they, they could be good by themselves. They can be good. But unless we look to Jesus, who showed mercy on us when we were helpless and sinners, we will never be able to love our neighbor. We will never be able to do it. And looking back at that last passage, I'm just gonna go back real quick. And looking back at that passage, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we ever look at somebody and look down on somebody and try to justify yourself, I'm telling you right now, you do not understand the gospel. You don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it multiple times a day. Passing judgment on somebody, I don't believe that. That when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Because if I really believed that, there would be no judgment on anybody. We need to love, we need to have compassion like this Samaritan. We're gonna enter into a time of communion like we do uh, every week uh, here at Lower Town and we're gonna participate in this sacrificial meal 
We have this bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us and the juice that represents the blood of Christ that, that again was that double cure. It saves me from the wrath of God and it makes me whole. That's what this table represents. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't forgive you of any sins. But as we partake of these elements, all I would ask is that, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you say yes? And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've said, man, the, the Jesus I heard about was a lot different. This Jesus that shares that kind of parable, that, that kind of Jesus I can get behind. Bow your knee to King Jesus and you can partake in this meal that Jesus instituted thousands of years ago together with us today. There's a gluten-free option on this side and, and like we did last week, we're gonna have a prayer team in the back and so um, we'll have two individuals in the, in the back and you just want anything to be prayed about. You want anything, just whatever it may be, whatever's in your heart, um, that uh, we'd love to pray for you in that way. So as we've taken these elements, as we sing, as we pray, corporate confession prayer, a personal prayer, would we just do that in a heart that would be introspective to say, what do I do to self-justify myself and what can I do to love all people? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for this parable. I thank you for the wisdom of Jesus to be able to answer with this story to say that all people are my neighbor, that we should love all people, we should care for them. But again, Jesus, your love for me doesn't mean I can just go do whatever I want. That you have called me to repent of my sin, that you have called me to, uh, to follow you as Lord and Savior. And so we can disagree with people and we can still say, no, I still think you're a sinner, but I still love you. That should be our heart. God, would that be the case? And so God, I pray now that as we Sing as we lift our voices, we, we partake of these elements that you would be honored, you'd be glorified. Like those of us that really need to repent for our own self-justification. God, you have said that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because everything we try to do on our own is unrighteousness. But it is your son and his righteousness that we are clothed with. So God, would you be magnified? Would you, your son be glorified? Would your spirit now be present in this moment, in this time, as we lift up our voices and praise you and thank you, the only God, the only thing that is worthy of worship and honor and praise. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.